Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamlet and Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also Raw, SmackDown, NXT, pay-per-views. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on wrestle chat, as I said, they're joined by Hamlet and Sidgwick to review Dynamite, and I think it's fair to say, Sidge, a roller coaster of an episode last night. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. <laughs> and here's the thing about this episode of Dynamite: there was one segment on it, and it's not even the one that Hamlet hated the most. I don't think, but there was one <laughs> segment on the show that left me with such an awful taste in my mouth that I left that episode wildly uneven in quality, on like a bit of a down note. Like, I should have been raving about how they've restored Miro or how they've just not even restored him. There's nothing to restore how they've made Miro. Should have, I was dancing on the ceiling at the time with the just perfect, perfect. I'm prone to hyperbole, but this isn't hyperbole. The perfect end end presentation of that opening segment of television. Mm-hmm. I love the main event. I love the opener. I loved, I was the high guy on Young Bucks SCU. This was like, the very best of Dynamite and the very worst. And the worst was so concerning that I was left to linger on that, which is bad considering how great the great was. Yeah, it, it may surprise you to know that, uh, like, I think I did hate the thing you're talking about more than the other thing I really, really hated, if I'm honest. We'll get to it, obviously, while we're speaking in this coded language. But at I least, think one, of them, at least one of them was well executed. Yeah. You didn't like the I, content. Yeah. Um, the extremes were just so like wild uh like i can't there's been a bit of this on dynamite before like the the for me like a case of these extremes where like the really really good is hampered by something bad in like the very next segment um it's often fast moving to its like betterment and then sometimes it's fast moving to its detriment i think last night was a case of being to its detriment um i think some things were like a couple of things felt a little bit harmful and a lot of the time fair enough like you can have hot takes and you can have like impulse reactions and stuff. But I think like in the fullness of time or a couple of days later, you can trust the process so much that you can understand why they've tried to do what they've tried to do. But like, 
I'm not so sure on last night. It's like a, a couple of things I thought were so bad that they just felt like hard, like I'll probably be crosser with them in a couple of days' time rather than of making peace with it. Like I shouldn't, I'm too old and long in the tooth to get wound up by pro wrestling now, but I was watching it, getting a bit, like I watched live last night and I was just getting a bit pissed off with the, with the things that like wound me up. Like there was a couple of, like the one segment in particular, there was something in the second hour. Like it started to feel like a personal affront to me. As a wrestling fan, and I just thought, ah, maybe I need to switch this off. Like, I shouldn't be having like those kind of WWE feelings about this program that never, ever, ever gives me that vibe. Like, it had that like bad NXT energy when I get like really annoyed about it. Because come feel on, let's not go nuts. No, no, no. Like, I'm saying from my personal experience. Like, I'm joking. I care enough that like I sometimes feel personally offended by something that I don't like. And there was a couple of cases of that, and I never expect that from a dynamite. Fascinating to see what we've got to say about this show. Let's dive straight into it, to a, a phenomenal start. It was John Moxley, Yuji Nagata for the IWGP United States Heavyweight Championship to start. Uh, right at the beginning of the show, sort of UFC-esque split screen of the two of them warming up backstage. Moxley comes out. I go, that's not his usual theme. That's also not the Death Rider theme. Oh my God, it's Wild Thing by the Trogs. I'll run through the match and then we can really delve into all this. They beat the crap out of each other, as expected, immediately exchanging forearms in the middle of the ring. Nagata gets sent into the corner. He hits a knee lift and a boot that sends Moxie to the floor. Later on, um, Moxie's going for a pile driver. Nagata powers out of it, puts Moxie on the top rope, and then hits a bloody avalanche exploder for him and a mid kick uh, for a great little two count. Eventually, uh, Moxie turns it around. He applies a rear naked choke. Nagata escapes. He puts an armbar on, a wonderful close-up shot of Nagata's face. You see the whites of his eyes. You see his desire to snap this man's arm. Uh, Moxley, thankfully, though, able to reach the ropes. Nagata hits an Inseguri. Moxley comes back with a lariat, goes to the bulldog choke. Suddenly, he's busted open. I've no idea how that happened. And uh, in the end, Moxley hits knee strikes and the paradigm shift for the one, two, three to retain the IWGP United States heavyweight championship and a lovely show of respect between two men the two men afterwards Sige I think I know what you're going to say about this but what did you make of everything here it was perfect it was absolute professional wrestling goddamn perfection this without being quite a five-star match it really wasn't that far away I mean it kind of was I think if you go back having lost that feeling of being overwhelmed by just how perfectly this was presented, you'll get a match in the three and three, four-star range. But it's an end-to-end segment of television. This was immaculate, absolutely immaculate. And I just got a completely overwhelming feeling of happiness. This is the company that puts smiles on people's faces. Unbelievable. I'll tell you what, Excalibur, if in a few years down the line, Jim Ross isn't up to it, some may make the argument that he isn't right now. Um, I disagree. I still think he has something to offer when he's getting a bit of a bollocking in his ear. But Excalibur, for me, needs to be put over before I forget because I'm going to put Nagata and Mox and Tony Khan the hell over imminently. Excalibur has got that Mike Tanay quality about him where he can use his genuine passion and professional broadcast skills to get an unknown to many people over like that. He was framed literally as this sort of demigod who's just wandered into a new country, perfectly formed as this legend. They couldn't have done any better in front of 600 or so or 900 or so distanced fans as this absolute massive deal who can summon and elicit a big fight feel. 
The bo- the MMA boxing entrances were fantastic. It was so astute, goddammit, from a strategic point of view to the point where I never felt cynical to have the side-by-side first because the first music you're going to get is Nagata's because they get the tight, they get the order of the champions right mm-hmm. all of the time. But they're thinking, oh, hang on, if we bring out Nagata first, then people are going to think, who the hell's this? Casual people, not me. I was overjoyed to see him, of course. And they did split screens because, you know, Moxie's going to come. So you might not know who, who he is, but Moxie's coming out. So tremendous in terms of how it intersected the, the cynical strategy of Moxie's here, but in also how it just got it over as a fight. The actual match itself was electrifying. Like, as I said, not your five-star level match, but my God, like, Excalibur's amazing. He's so good at calling why something hurts that you kind of get that, oh, Christ, I feeling when Moxley, and I don't think I've seen him do this before, it was tits, launched himself off the apron and kneed Nagata in the back, just said right between the shoulder blades, and they give you that, oh, yes, that would actually knack. <laughs> I loved the wit to this. It wasn't just a hard-hitting match. That was probably the best version of a match you could expect from Moxley and Nagata at this point in their careers. But like, it was witty as well. I wanted this to be witty. There's a huge wit that runs through the very best of Japanese pro wrestling. And just the fake out from Nagata, and then he smashed him in the shins from that. It was great, full of drama, full of joy. I just could not have loved this more. And I'm going to hand over to my colleague to put over the post-match because it was his idea. Uh, uh, perfect was the word I would have used as well to just describe this. And this was beautiful. Like my skin was tingling as John Moxley entered. And I just had that like reminder, got like, well done for picking a good hobby. You don't always feel like that, especially not on like a Tuesday. So well done on picking pro wrestling because there was nothing like this. This whole thing was beautiful. I wanted to like take it out for dinner, buy it something nice and introduce it to my parents. Like I, I, every single second of this, like this was the kind of magic where as much as we've all watched, because AW's like for the hardcores as much as anybody, and you know here we are talking about on a podcast as much as we've all watched, there is nothing quite like not being aware how they do it, how they summon these feelings from you, how they extract these emotions, um, and this had all of that to such an extent. Like Excalibur, absolutely worthy of praise by the way, because I think we probably don't give him enough. But Shivani, a guy that's forgotten more about wrestling that we'll ever know doing that thing where he talks along with the action again, not as a commentator, but as a fan that can't quite believe what he's watching. That bit when he's about a second behind the play, where he's saying about like John Moxley flipping the double bird, and then he flips the bird, and then he gets the kick in the head. That's what I'm doing too. I feel like, well, hang on, me and Tony Schiavone are live tweeting the same marking out moments. Like just mesmerising, mesmerising stuff. Just absolutely wonderful. Um, the respect angle just like capped it off like beautifully like John Moxley, that again, like, sell me a fight every week. Give me the fight exactly as you described it. Like, these promos at this point are more of a spoiler than Paul Heyman saying Brock Lesnar's going to beat the guy. That's mm-hmm. what these promos are. And yeah, I'm on the hook every time he delivers it. He does what he says because he's the best guy. Like, it's the same. I've got the same take every single time. But, like, it's just because I want to celebrate it because there's not enough of this in wrestling out the baby faces. It's one of the most perfect wrestling characters of all time. AW's John Moxley, like one of the most perfect characters ever. Like, and you can say that objectively because he draws too. Um, so you've even got like the the boring metric side of things that like steer you away from just an emotional connection. Yeah, that like 
the two of them bowing to each other, raising his arms. Um, the forbidden door barely feels forbidden anymore because it's a relationship born out of respect. Like sometimes there's going to be things between AW and New Japan where like heels do things, where baddies do things, like where the elite get involved and Kenny Omega disrespects. Oh, Christ, no. eyes roll in the back of my head, Kazuchika Okada perhaps or something. But like, this is the other side of that. This is how you just use that magically. God damn, like, couldn't have loved this anymore. On Excalibur as well, sorry to interject very briefly. Have you noticed on Dynamite, he's getting loads more of when the return, which is Jim Ross's job. He does more than this. But we're back here on Dynamite, or we're about to go in picture in picture. Excalibur's getting loads more of this. I feel like there's a transition happening, and I feel like he's more than up for the task. He's way more polished. He hasn't lost his passion and his like ability to echo your excitement as a viewer within that. I just think Excalibur's getting even better, and I've always rated him. Quick word on uh, Moxley's new theme, Hamlet. <laughs> Christ. Like, I don't know if this is going to be a one-off, you know. I wonder I if this is New Japan Moxley in AEW. So it's like a hinterland between his New Japan theme and his AEW one. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, like, what a way to build atmosphere through the screen. Um, just odd, like presentations, like everything. 600 people felt like 6,000. Eight minutes felt like 40 because of the way this was presented and, con- and constructed. Like it felt like you'd watch this epic war by the end. Like Moxley looked as knackered as he did <laughs> having that match with uh, Jake Hager. And this went eight and a half minutes. <laughs> uh, one of my favourite matches of the year, this was. Uh, next up, we had an interview with what is left of the inner circle. Uh, Ortiz, Jake Hager, Sammy Guevara, they talk about blood and guts. Uh, Ortiz said that uh, the pinnacle won, but MJF showed his true colours because Santana had been arrested and detained for his use of a fork. Uh, they want another match, basically. So they said it's never going to be over as long as they're in the same company. And uh, Guevara said tonight's pinnacle coronation would become a funeral. Hamlet, what did you think of this promo and the idea to bring them back so quickly. We'll talk more about this obviously later on with the coronation, but I was surprised that this happened A, so early on in the show and B, so quickly, obviously after Blood and Guts. I wasn't keen, put it like that. But there, there I am watching this thinking, oh, well, like, it's po- probably I'll just talk. It can't get any worse. Yeah, I wasn't keen. Right, Let's talk about the rest. Let's talk about the rest later. Yeah, I'd save it for that. Jesus Christ, we'll be here two hours otherwise. Okay. <laughs> Well, let's talk about something else that I have been waiting since, well, since I, my eyes watched it happen a few hours ago to talk to Michael Hamplett about. Cody Rhodes' double or nothing announcement. He came out, he did the, yeah, you, miracle, yeah, stuff. Talked about being proud to be an American, USA chant. Talked about our representative, Antonia Gogo, uh, talking down the USA. Um Mentioned the fact that, of course, he's there working courtesy of a visa in the USA. And he said, you didn't come here to live the England dream. I dread to think what the bloody England dream is right now. Boris Johnson. on Anyway, um, he talked about uh, immigrants, talked about Bruno San Martino, an Italian-American immigrant. Reference, obviously, Shad Khan being an immigrant. Uh, got very emotional, talked about the segregation of America 60 years ago and now... His wife, Brandy, is going to give birth to a beautiful baby girl with both white and black identities. And he announced that not only is he going to be facing Anthony Agogo at Double or Nothing at the end of this month, it's not going to be the American nightmare that faces him. It will be Agogo versus the American dream, Cody Rhodes. Michael Hamlet, the floor 
is yours. I try and push back the wavering agenda that I understand is there that people think I have an irrational dislike of Cody Rhodes. And I do that through like being effusive in my praise of his work when I really enjoy it. And there's loads of it. Go back through any of our podcasts and there's absolutely loads of it. Like I will acknowledge how great Cody Rhodes is when I think Cody Rhodes is great. So I need to say that because I don't undermine like what's probably going to end up being an accidentally scathing criticism of this demented and risible promo because I hated it. Like I hated it. Like it was rambling nonsense for the most part. So that, like that was a problem in and of itself. Like it felt like it took absolutely ages to get to a point in which you could sell a fight at a pay-per-view, which is so unlike Cody because for all that, like he's given all of this, it's his show. Like he can take as much time as he wants, yeah. but he never fails to get to the point and sell a pay-per-view. Like I can never deny that regardless of some of the content of some of his longer speeches. So this was failing at that. And I felt that really early. I was like, oh man, you're drowning in your rhetoric here and you need to like try and pull yourself to shore. And I think he just about did by the end. So there's like, there's how I can praise it. I think he almost got it to a point where it's like, oh, you actually sold me on a fight that was sold on me two weeks ago because you, and you go punched a hole in your stomach. Mm. Like that was the story that was told. Like, so like take away from like the confusing, like borderline jingoistic tone it took mm. at points and separating your personal thoughts, subjective as they obviously are on his crocodile tears because I just need my older brother. Like it was again oh, for me, like, and it, and it probably allowed to get emotional about that. I didn't believe it. Like, this was like for me like an extension of every time I whinge about cars this is what this was right because there was this underlying Ghostbusters 2 pink slime under this promo of like America's on the mend you know America's not so bad let's cut to a guy in a Black Lives Matter t-shirt in the crowd felt really tone deaf all of that Mm. and you're trivializing all that to build a feud with a guy who you've already gone to the trouble of setting up the feud with in two different ways. Power of the punch, Cutie Marshall is the evil coach, right? Those are great mm. angles that have already been like included on television. So I cannot fathom why you went down that route, that long, audacious, scenic route, just to take the American dream name. Like that felt like, by the end, that felt like the purpose of all of that was to just be like, right, I'm going to take Dusty's name, finally. I'm going to be the American dream. And that needs a certain level of prestige and a certain level of platform. And nobody, either he didn't tell anybody or nobody spoke up to say, there's probably another way to get there, Cody, because I, I don't think that's it, mate. And and that's what this was. Like, this like this was a, like a chronic misfire for me. Badly delivered, like, wasting an opportunity to just sell a fight that otherwise they've done a brilliant job of selling. Like, ignore as much of this as you possibly can in the next two weeks for me and just get back to the fact that, like, he'll put you on the shelf with one punch. There's the there's the angle. This promo to me illustrated that you absolutely can't touch this stuff in 2021 and mm. given the accelerating rate at which the world is just imploding in tribalism, it's not just this asinine WWE versus AEW stuff. That's the absolute, that's like a pleasure to talk about compared to what's (laughs) going on globally. This illustrated to me that you just simply can't do this anymore because I thought this was a good version of something that was impossible to like. I liked something that was impossible to like. 
I'm going to completely disagree with Hamlet. I thought his delivery was great. I loved the various attempts to make this not bad, right? Except it's fundamentally bad because, I mean, he, he wants your vote. He doesn't want your paper. He doesn't want your $60 on pay-per-view. He wants your vote. It felt like he was doing a dry run for, he said he wants to be a politician. This felt like he was holding a, a rally, not selling a fight. You can't do this anymore, and this promo is why. I liked the links to pro wrestling. And you know what? I like if you, the reason why it can't work is because if anyone's going to do a National Pride disco of a feud, right, it's going to be these two guys. You've got a guy who's got old glory tattooed on his frigging neck versus a man who is an Olympian medal-winning athlete who's genuinely very patriotic. I can buy the fact that they would hate each other for being English and or American, but I'm not invested in that slant of this whatsoever. Um, I was overwhelmed by the delivery. I generally thought it was great. Crying baby faces, showing emotion. Real emotion, Hamflick's talking about. If you, I mean, if you, if you, but I didn't see any tears. He's got an upside, but I've never seen it. Um, Kids, yeah. Let's just move past that. I know I just brought it up. Um, yeah, don't do this anymore. Great delivery. It's a phenomenal promo. I was overwhelmed by it initially, and then I thought, probably should not be praising that. Delete the tweet. (laughs) (laughs) I think he runs, um, this is going to be like vintage 2019 Hamlet, but I think he runs a big risk, like verging on conflating what has been like a pretty privileged life with like this program and uh, an America on the mend or an America getting healed or something like that. I think he has to be, very, very careful. Like, just because Dusty did it in the 80s during the Cold War or something, um, I think he's one of the worst to be going near any of that now. Um, you know, I, I, I did understand him introducing Brandy and the baby into it. I'm, like, I'm not daft, but I, th- I still think he's probably not the guy to be saying that, if indeed anybody is. I'm just looking forward to next week when uh, Anthony Gogo drives to the ring, smashing through the Dynatron in a Tetley's truck. That's tea! That's hot tea! Uh, I love this discourse. I'd love to know everyone's thoughts on it at What Culture WWE. And I particularly love the little nod to WCPW in there. Do we all catch that? Little Gabriel kid? Oh! Oh, Little Gabriel kid. By the way, I love that he didn't name check Kip Sabian, the guy he actually brought over and signed. (laughs) Someone else pointed out on Twitter, not me, that he didn't name check Nick Aldis either. <laughs> um, but yeah, by the way, Gabriel Kidd is not little anymore. If anyone's been keeping up with what he's been up to in Japan, sweet Jesus, I don't know what they've been feeding him over there. But yeah, mixed emotions, I think, for me on this one. Uh, like you say, I got the I got the the attempt that was they were trying for, but I I I'd never re- I, I don't know whether it's just because I'm British. And we don't really go for those sorts of things, but I never get the whole us versus them mentality thing. So I don't know. It didn't really connect with me, but I got it, you know. And, uh, you know, like shagging is more divisive than it used to be. Mm. And I think that's an issue when, like, like wrestling can lean on so many old things. But I think this is probably, sorry, I'm just parroting what Cedric said probably at the start of this. I think that real old, dying old patriotism died while nobody was watching in a wrestling context, and maybe this was, like, the first one of these we've had in a while. Like, Vincent Mann can send out a babyface waving a flag, but, like, 
like he doesn't care if you don't emotionally connect with him. Like in AEW, you really are supposed to emotionally connect with the baby faces, and maybe that's why this felt different. Here's the thing as well. I just want to clarify a point or build on a point. He did mention at the start of this promo that he acknowledged America's faults and he made specific mention of the antiquated two-party system. I think deep down he kind of knew halfway through the promo or like in at least practicing it in his head. I'm going to have to really try hard to not do this this way. And it's like, well, just don't do it. You got punched. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't like the line about people feeling confused about what to do when the uh, the, the the national anthem plays, for example. I don't know. I just. I suppose it. Like I mean, Sid, you sort of alluded to it as well there in terms of the fact that in the current climate, whether you're an American or a Brit, anyone being passionate about the flag, I don't know, raises red flags for me. Like, you know, I don't. I it, maybe it's maybe it's something that's I need to work on more. Um, you know, but you see an, an English flag flying proudly in someone's back garden, and you yeah, go automatically think you're a knob. Yeah, and yeah, go oh, so. Brexit here. So uh, I don't, I don't know, man. here's the thing: the simple reduced point is professional wrestling simply isn't the medium to tell this kind of story. Exactly. Anyway. And on that note, let's move on to the <laughs> tag team championship match: Young Bucks versus SCU. They aired the clip from uh, the Road Two with the SCU talking about Young Bucks' attitude and how it had changed in their history together, and reiterated the whole "if we lose, we break up" thing. And uh, I just, I really enjoyed this match. I have to say, I know some people have uh, not been as high on it as as myself and, and Sige, but I, I, I one issue, but that came after the match, and I'll get to that. The match starts obviously great heat from like Kaz and, and Nick Jackson starting it off. SCU are actually in control; they're out wrestling their friends, uh, beating down Nick, and then Matt backdrops Daniels to the floor. That allows them to, to take out Kazarian and get control. Later on, SCU hit, uh, I think it's called Celebrity Rehab on Nick, but that allows a distraction from Matt uh, to get Nick coming in, rising knees, Bulldog on Kaz, Slingshot X Factor lets them take advantage. And then this is a bit where Nick super kicks Daniels into the ring post and he is busted wide open, blood everywhere. The Bucks sort of realise Christopher Daniels is hurt, uh, so they target Kaz, they hit a buckle bomb, they go for more bang for your buck, but Kazarian gets out, double pin after a Northern Lights suplex. Great little two count, that. Um, then Kaz rolls up Matt. He's got him there for the pinfall, but of course, Doc Gallows, uh, Gallows and Anson had accompanied the Young Bucks to ringside whilst Don Callis was on commentary. Um, they, he's got the match won. Doc Callows distracts the efficient official, though, and then oh, just a lovely call back this. Kaz pointedly hits a styles clash on Matt Jackson, but Nick dives in to break up the pin. Um, Daniels eventually comes back in. He breaks up a pinfall. He comes in, hits the angel wings, uh, then tags himself in. Sorry. Gets speared out of his shoes straight away. Uh, Daniels avoids a super kick. Matt powers out the angels wings and does the bloody HBK flare. I'm sorry. I love you nails him with a super kick. Daniels kicks out of the pin attempt. I'm not sure at one po- at what point during this, Matt looks down and goes, rather than like, oh, this is my best friend. I should be concerned. He's, he's busted open. He's really in trouble. He's not himself. He's bleeding on my shoes, you knobhead. 
He's furious with him for bleeding on these fancy shoes, which Andy Murray told me do not cost thousands of dollars, as was previously claimed. But to be honest, I don't care. And I think it almost adds to it. Well, that's a whole separate conversation. Anyway, uh, Daniel sits a Uranagi, goes for the best moonsault ever, botches it. But if anyone's paying attention at the back, he's injured. And the whole story for Daniels for the last, what, year and a half, Sige? Year? Has been, that's the thing. People, I couldn't get over that some people were like, oh, no, that botch kind of ruined it. It's fucking integral to the story. Anyway, he hits best moonsault ever. But in the time it's taken him to recover and hit that, Nick's recovered, he break up, breaks up the pinfall. Anyway, Good Brothers get, get taken out by Christopher Daniels, but with the official distracted, Matt gets the cold spray, uh, sprays it in Kazarian's face, smacks Christopher Daniels with it. Great near fall. But he kicks out. It doesn't really matter. Kaz is right up on the stage, still selling, being blinded by the cold spray. They hit the BTE trigger. One, two, three. Kazarian tries to get in to break it up, but he's too late. And yeah, not only do the Young Bucks retain the tag team titles, SCU are no more. And the one thing that really annoyed me is the fact that he just went, well, that's it. Anyway, backstage to Moxley and Eddie Kingston who are smashing up the Elite's dressing room. And yes, they did come back and have a brief moment after the break of a lovely emotional hug between the two. But I, I wasn't a huge fan of not giving that a bit of chance to breathe and us to take it all in, even though SCU haven't been, I mean, they were, they were first tag team champions, to be fair, in, in AEW, but they haven't been integral to AEW. But people should know the history of these two. And it's been sold enough by them that it annoyed me that they didn't give that the real sinking in moment. But regardless, Sige, what did you think of the match and the, the post-match? I thought it was awesome. The absolute perfectly measured way to do the story. Like, absolutely great. I, on the botch, air quotes on an audio podcast. Yes. What ultimately does it matter if it was deliberate or not? If you're looking at the beats of that story, it's perfect either way. Absolutely perfect either way. If he's had I pitched an intentional botch yesterday because it would fit so perfectly into the idea of, oh, you know, if it was just five years prior, on their best day, they could have probably beaten the Young Bucks yeah. and got their team back and all the rest of it. But that's not the story here. So if it was not intentional, it's still perfect. Sometimes a flubbed note is so much more effective than something polished and perfect. People, when I talk about WWE, don't get that's what I goddamn hate about it. This ironic quest for perfection. Even if it is a botch, who cares? It fit this time perfectly into the story. David Lynch created the whole mythology around Twin Peaks through a mistake. Radiohead creep got the it's quintessential thing that you remember about that song because Greenwood made a mistake. Mistakes sometimes are great. If it was a mistake, this could not have been timed any better. Beyond that, another thing I hate beyond polish in WWE is rank exposition. Professional wrestling, yes, it's built on promos, selling matches, but it's also a medium for visual storytelling. And the goddamn blood on Matt Jackson's trainers was just the absolute perfect illustration of what a complete twat this character has become. Right, Not only does... Not only is there a divide now between the books and their old friends because they're just ri living this rich life and they've bought into the idea of being big wrestling stars. Yes. Has Nick always been wearing earrings? And I just haven't noticed because I thought that was an added... <laughs> getting more and more 
yeah as the weeks go on it's absolutely incredible like they're wearing hawaiian shirts big fan of that it's part of my wardrobe it's, they're getting like they're looking like a boy band more and more and more every single week they're adding something it's absolutely phenomenal um yeah on that the blood again not only have they drawn the distinction in the story the fact that the books are just living this rock star pro wrestler life that they never said they wanted to do the wars on being the elite showing like time-lapse footage of them boxing up merch and selling it like they've always been the guys who are happy to make money and presenting themselves as guys capable of making money which is catnip to the fans because it proved that they could draw when everyone just said they couldn't but they're always like proper diy guys from the start like the spirit of independent pro wrestling calls through them that's not the case anymore that's the story beat and to just get them over as these cruel arseholes it's just magnificent character progression it's one thing for them to be incredibly obnoxious and wear chandeliers on their head this was like <laughs> character development character actual character development in the most cruel and perfectly visual non-expository way adored it in terms of the match itself given how broken Christopher Daniels is these days. I still thought he was bang up for it. And he knew what role to play. Mm. That informed Kazarian's awesome last stand going one on two. That was great. The length was perfectly measured. The level of violence was perfectly measured. I understand it was one week removed from blood and guts, but you juice a guy like Daniels. That's what you do. That, he's old. That's what he's there for. You make old men bleed that's what you do in pro wrestling when they can't go and the story was that you couldn't so i thought this was absolutely an amazing amazing moment but this show is episodic to a fault and it wasn't as if they cut to anything particularly good mm. they've told quite magnificently in my opinion this really funny story about how the young books are piss scared of the two real hard men coming to get them like i i know this I watched it last week. Just let something register for a change. Yeah. Um, I know they did like the, uh, meanwhile, during the break, but like that really wasn't enough. It's no. a bit of a cell phone for Matt Jackson, isn't it? Because they uh, should have put it on dynamite. Uh, the match <laughs> was just delicious though. Like what a fabulous textured match. Um, all the spots. Crazy. Yeah. All the spots that Cedric's highlighted, the blood and the trainers. Loved like the, the detail of the run-ins. Like the Showmax parody was really good, but like the cold spray of the face, they've stopped and thought of ways to like elevate how big a dickhead they can be when they decide to drop the premise entirely that they're remotely worried about the career of SCU. And it happened pretty early. So you've got a lot of match to do where you're going, you're building brick by brick. Just how little do the young books care about this anymore? How little, how little? To the point where they're just spraying him in the face by the end to desperately steal the win. I really, really love that. Um, Kaz, like, I wanted to get in the ring and help Kaz myself when he, like, stared dead-eyed at Carl Anderson and hit that Styles Clash. Now, that wasn't an accident. And I just, every bit of this was so well thought through. Um Matt Jackson parodying himself before parodying Shawn Michaels was a treat. Um, this this was this was absolutely brilliant. Like, if like you know, let's ignore my thoughts entirely. The Cody promo was d- divisive, right? If that was your, your standard Cody go home pay per view like pitch, this would be one of the best Dynamite first hours ever. 
Because I like, I think there is going to be problems that like stick around that people remember with that Cody promo. But the two matches, Jesus mm. Christ, like how spoiled, man, how spoiled are we? Um, and it does. It, this is the thing, right? The the problem with the extremes of AEW when it is so good is that it does sort of magnify the bad because it's really, really quickly that you're left a bit like again, like just my own sort of lived and experience from last night. A bit like pissed off, like on behalf of SCU and Kaz because of how how they kind of like breeze through that. I live through it with impact all the time. And like, I see like comparisons being made today to like 1998 Raw. Um, this wasn't that for me. This was TNA Impact, where like nothing gets any breathing room. They'll fight, trust the process, they'll find a way, there'll be YouTube content, there'll be all that sort of stuff. Within the universe of AEW, time will be donated to Kaz and Daniels. But this keeps being a problem. They need to understand that the time donated on Dynamite is the most important time of all. And went to do that, and went to like went to not brush that off, and think, well, we're going to give them twenty minutes on YouTube next week. Like it, it is still an issue, I think, and it's not just this, obviously, but it's still a still a problem. Like they need they need more of that TV time desperately to sort of like keep figuring this out. The the bit where the young books realised, both of them realised, obviously one of them actually knocked him into the post, but both of them realised Chris Daniels was busted open and. As you know, as fans who wanted CSCU win, you're like, oh, this isn't fair now because it's. Can we just do stop this and do it again next week when he's recovered or whatever? They became the embodiment of the. Uh, have you seen the Jeremy Clarkson meme of like, oh no? Anyway, that's what I thought they were like. Oh, Christopher Daniels is buggered. Well, time to kick the out of Kazarian or whatever. And also, I want to give a quick mention. I think Matt Jackson's walk might be my new favorite walk. You know, obviously people do the McMahon or the Conor McGregor or whatever you want to call it. It's sort of a weird, I don't want to, this is, I'm slagging him off, it sounds like. It's sort of a weird chicken walk, if it makes any sense. But the, <laughs> the, the, the arrogance that flows through him is, is great. But yeah, it's, it's, in terms of this, I think they follow it up maybe next week on Dynamite and just have a, I don't know, a farewell to SCU or something. Is that how they salvage it for you? There's no salvaging to be done. Um I think this is the BTE sphere uh, for me, but that's just the way it is. Look, here's the electric thing about this. They made it feel lived in and like you've been on the journey for a while when realistically you haven't been. I think it's just on to the next business. I mean, that's dynamite on to the next business. Um, sometimes that manifests as like exhilarating episodic TV. Sometimes that manifests as missed opportunities to let things resonate. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. On to the next thing, and that was Christine Cage being interviewed backstage about Taz and Team Taz. Uh, Christine said Taz was a bad man at one point in time, but now Taz won't step up to the ring. Was there a line about catering in here, I noticed? Or something, I don't know. Like he knows more about the buffet than he does. That's it, yeah. Like the ring now, yeah. Mm. Uh, anyway, uh, he, he gave out an open challenge to any Team Taz member and said he's going to be in the Casino Battle Royale uh, at Double or Nothing at the end of this month. Matt Seidel comes in. Uh, he says that instead of Team Taz, it was he who signed the open challenge for next week. It's a tasty affair, that Matt Seidel versus Christian Cage. Hamlet, uh, your thoughts on this? Um... It's all right. Again, it was like after feeling a bit disappointed that I didn't get the um, something a bit more significant for SCU. Like this was a little bit too bland. I was like, oh, there's another like two or three minutes that could have been spent like letting that result resonate a bit more. It's intriguing Christian Cage being in the Casino Battle Royale. Um, we have another Casino Battle Royale to worry about being terrible. Make it good. <laughs> yeah, like that's, that's, that's the underlying, like you hear those words and you're like, oh Christ, this again. Um, it's intriguing, but I kind of want to give them a pass because I feel like it would have been Christian Cage versus Ricky Starks at the pay-per-view and that's been lost to Ricky Starks' injury. So mm-hmm. I want to give them the benefit of the doubt that this is them like trying to find an interesting way to use Christian Cage in the card. I, I don't feel too much either way for Christian Cage and... Matt Sadell, I, I cracked a joke online last night that if you've got like Drew McIntyre and Bobby Lashley on Sunday and Christine Cage and Matt Sadell on a Wednesday, this is like catnip for people watching 2009 WWE, but unfortunately nobody was. So nobody has, nobody feels any nostalgia for any of that. <laughs> like it's a bit of an ordinary sounding Christian Cage match for me, but I wait to be proven wrong. It's Christian. Um, yeah, all felt like made good to the match I really wanted, but injuries are injuries. Wholly inoffensive. Um, next up it was the uh, world championship eliminator the uh, top two ranked men facing off against each other to see who would face Kenny Omega at double or nothing for the AW world title and uh, such a shame this because it was going so well Um, great chemistry between these two we saw it at what was it revolution I think last year and uh, yeah it all kind of went off the rails as we will get into there early on um well, as the match is starting, they square up. Orange Cassidy puts his shades on Pack. Love that image, by the way. Uh, Pack obviously just smashes them to a million pieces. Cassidy goes to do with his hands in his pocket thing. Pack's not having none of it, but Cassidy immediately turns that into a beach break for a great near fall. Uh, pops his hands in his pockets uh, and Tope Suicidas Pack, who's on the outside, before putting on the backup pair of sunglasses, of course. Um, Pack hits some brutal looking drop kicks. And uh, then as Pack is setting up for the Black Arrow, does that classic Orange Cassidy roll to the other side. So Pack sets up on the other side. Orange Cassidy rolls underneath the turnbuckle and gives him the lazy little thumbs up. He counters Pack again, sends him into the turnbuckle. Victory roll for a two count. Uh, Pack nails Cassidy with a thrust kick. 
and then hits him with the Liger bomb, which is where this all kind of went wrong. Obviously, Orange Cassidy sent Loopy here. Um, and by all accounts, uh, this was meant to go to a 20-minute draw, as called, I believe, by one uh, Michael Hamflet yesterday, or Michael Sidgwick, actually. Was it for both? No, Sidge. Both. Both, both Um The important thing is they're listening, and we're grateful for that. Exactly. That's all that so in the midst of all this, uh, that was meant to go to a 20-minute draw, but obviously with the uh, head injury or whatever it may be to Orange Cassidy, we're obviously wishing well on his recovery. They have to adapt. So Don Callis comes out, he gets on the mic, he taunts Pack, takes the official, and that allows Kenny Omega to nail Pack with the uh, with the belt. Both men can't answer a 10 count, and they do the classic. There's no winners here. Neither of them answered the 10 count. There's no winners. So Omega gets the night off at double or nothing. Um Omega shouts about the two men in the ring being losers. Uh, Tony Schiavone interrupts, but before he can say anything, Kenny Omega insists on putting his sunglasses on. <laughs> what a knobhead. Uh, Tony Schiavone announces it is going to be a three-way, a triple threat match for the World Championship at Double or Nothing with Omega defending against both Pac and Cassidy. Such a shame, this Sige. Yeah, a total shame. If I'm being honest and consistent, the three-way wasn't what I would have wanted, but at the same time, the way in which Orange Cassidy sells and his very character, there's probably few better to do a triple threat match or a three-way match than him lingering on the outside. Is he selling? Has he just can't get up your ass? Like there's stuff to yeah. do for one-on-one food. It's just the best way stories are told. Um I was into the match, obviously, even though I could tell it was going long, but I was sat there prepared for it to go long. They've done a good job of really making it look like, oh, Casty's knackered here. He is in trouble. I can't wait for the comeback. Obviously, the comeback didn't materialize. Reports have surfaced subsequent to the show that he's fine. Um, he just got knocked loopy, but he was like seen socializing backstage. He was checked out. He's going to be okay. That match is still scheduled. All oh, that's very good. It's not much to say. It's just a total shame. Bit heartbreaking because mm. this is going to be great. And they were going to do a very good version of building a triple threat, which is fundamentally a flawed method of telling a story rather than have Kenny Omega look like an idiot by doing the, Oh, I'm going to interfere and Oh, there's no match. Well, of course there's going to be a match because you've been watching WWE for 20 years. They did that in the moment. You can't, I can't bury them for doing an in the moment decision. Like I can't. A lot in of bad faith, faith takes around that. I saw on Twitter. In, in good faith. Your, your impulses. This is, and not only is this, but we've actually got next shows, next week's shows booked. So, so we're just going to have to do the WWE thing. It's the first thing that comes to your head, right? It's the first thing that comes to your head. I cannot, in good faith, criticize them, even though the mechanics of that impromptu audible meant that Kenny Omega looked like the dickhead, and the, the dickhead heel in WWE who is too stupid to make, too stupid to realize that he's making him, like, his life more difficult for himself. Doing the time limit draw establishes Cassidy and Pac as equals, equal worthy contenders, and avoids the issue entirely of Kenny Omega looking like a tit. Kenny Omega could still do the promo after the draw and say, well, neither of these are good enough, and then whatever. There's nothing else to say other than what the original plan was going to be good. That didn't happen because of a frightening botch. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, like... Don't really have much to add to that. I, ignoring the botch, ignoring the on-the-fly 
as you say, taking the WWE route, which, you know, I think a lot of people, I'm relatively patient at WWE tropes most of the time. So, like, I don't, I don't even think it'll offend a lot of people. Maybe it has. I don't know if you say there's bad faith takes out there. But you kind of get to where you need to because of an injury. That's fine. Away from all of that, I'm I, I'm not that keen on Omega Pack and Orange Cassidy yet. I don't know if it's because it's the triple threat and AEW have reminded me the joy of the well-built singles pay-per-view yeah. title fight. Um, you know, maybe that's, again, the benefit of having proper opposition that are doing things differently, that are doing the old things that you liked with, you know, sort of contemporary adjustments but yeah something feels a bit icky about the triple threat as it stands maybe that's partly because of how they've arrived at it and maybe I felt different if they'd have worked this amazing earnest draw that we both foresaw you know like neither of us picked a winner in this one so it wasn't the result I was worried about I don't like they've got time to sell me on it I just I just I don't feel what I normally would about a AW paper title match which I can't think of a time where like Brody Lee, John Moxley, I guess, because it felt a bit forced in the in the build. But even then, it was still a, a last it was rushed, wasn't it? But it was like still a big singles title fight where you knew that like Brody Lee in particular had like a lot to prove. Um, so you could like attach quite a lot of story yourself to it, like maybe because the three of them, it just doesn't feel you know they've got something later on. I guess they could use the headliner instead. So maybe this won't go on last. Yeah, it's one of those where it's like I like the rankings. I love the theoretical idea of the draw to establish them as two equals worthy of going in a three-way but from how do you tell a story with three guys uh, they if, if anyone can do it, it's aw that is yeah hmm. uh, willborn you're laughing i just got the mental image of tk throwing his headphones across the room now going they bumped it yesterday cody now they don't like it what, what <laughs> i i wanted brian cage and so kenny to get the i booked it as the thing i don't want to see that will still be good <laughs> we are clearly doing because I'm very clever and I could tell from the four matches and the the inaction that they're going to do a draw so I'm clever I, wa- I wanted very Kennedy clever. to collect the FTW belt <laughs> I wanted Kennedy I just have one more belt that's all I'm, that's all I'm chasing put more belts on that man's body uh, right I mentioned earlier we saw uh, Moxley and Kingston just smashing up the elites uh, changing rooms and then we go backstage after this match to see the Young Bucks and the Good Brothers furious about the mess that had been made the books want to say, oh, you don't believe us. You don't think that we're fighting champions. They challenge the now number one ranked Varsity Blondes to a tag mat- tag title match next week. And then Matt invites Moxley and Kingston to a super kick party at Double or Nothing. Hamlet. Interesting, this. Like, I thought it was weird that they like tidied up some of the mess that was actually made before complaining about the mess. Like, <laughs> odd visual, that. But um, the, I didn't think the promo was going really well. And then I thought it went awesome. I think it's really interesting to highlight the Varsity Blondes, considering that like they've like I, I love the Varsity Blondes, but like they're presented as losers. The job is in the division, and it's funny that the Young Bucks are like throwing out a challenge to them in particular, they're and not, like having a job is they're like ranked. It's another dissonance. Between yeah, yeah. Right. Having a dig at Brian Pillman Jr. Amazing, like topical, brilliant. They've kind of got me on the hook that they might do a shock title change here. You know, um, like the arrogance of the Young Bucks to offer this shot out and then say, on oh, and then afterwards we'll take on Kingston and Moxley. Uh, like, it's not very AEW, this. But, uh, like, I've, I'm finding myself arguing the merit in the losing the belts next week and winning them back with one week to go and having to win their way back into a match against Moxley and Kingston. I just feel really sold on this, um, like, this match with Pillman Jr. now, specifically. I thought the way they went for him 
like really good if you're only going to sell one TV match and that's it. But I think there's like in, like interest and arrogance to putting your belts on the line and then already looking past your challenges. I, like I like that as a as a device. It's a good device, and they're going to look like even more colossal dickweeds when they inevitably win for me. I <laughs> uh, got an interview with with Hangman Page, Dark Order surrounding him. Talked about his uh, his loss to Brian, Brian Cage, and obviously how that's affected just everything. Basically, everyone gets a title match except you. Sorry, Hangman Page. Um, he's getting consoled by the Dark Order, but he said, uh, "Well, to be fair, it wasn't really a fair fight. It took three and a half men." <laughs> To <laughs> <laughs> beat, beat me down, talked about getting power bombed on the stage and his lungs nearly going out of his throat. Said it wasn't Cage that took him out, it was Taz. And they said, he said, you know what, let's run it back. Me and you, Cage, one on one, double or nothing. And John Silver goes, Oh my god, I don't that's 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 the name of the pay-per-view. Do, do you realize that? That's so clever. And I died when he said that, Sidge. Yeah, I mean, I'm on page is the possibly. Omega is in here, the conversation, the, the elite for the reason of being elite. Hangman Page is like the cleverest guy in wrestling. If you look at fucking all out 2019 to everything now, and we know that he's part of the process and he pitches his own stuff, he's the most intelligent guy. And he's got really good taste in sitcoms because it's straight out of Arrested Development. Hey, that's the name of the show. That's <laughs> the name of the pay-per-view. And I just loved how he got like caught out like trying to be clever because he is actually clever and clever enough to be not too clever. Because he thought it sounded really cool. And John Silver was like, just totally exposed him, but like inadvertently made him look like a tit. Yeah, I was trying to do something cool. Ruined it now. (laughs) He's the best. I want this match to be fought for the FTW title because deep in his post tag team title loss malaise, the, Hangman, uh, the Dark Order, who was still the Dark Order in that old incarnation, was chanting, F Hangman, F Hangman. And a kind of a heartbreaking moment on BTE, Hangman Page went to the bar, they're like, the keeper, whatever they call it, and joined in the chant. Hangman was telling himself, to, oh. and it was like, ah, oh, it's heartbreaking. And if he wins the FTW title, he can now tell Kenny Omega, the world champion, who deserves to be told off in the storyline, off. Please do this. And if you don't do it, I'll stop looking for you. Do you understand? <laughs> and then Omega beats him in their first match and takes the FWB title. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Angel. <laughs> and then you can do the next one. It's, oh my God, full gear. <laughs> I love this and really needed it. Um, I'd like, and this is this is a reminder of like what this company is so brilliant at. It's all, it all travels through Hangman Page. Um, all of it, like, because like everything from the company's very existence to now has traveled through Hagman page for better and worse. This is brilliant. Like really, really funny, obviously setting up like a nice mid card attraction match, no, but that's got, hang on, that's, and hangman has to win. But it's got so much more to it. Like it's for the fans, isn't it? Hangman page is for the fans at this point. There are, there are going to be ways in which you're going to appeal to casuals. There's been like stuff out there before. Um, that like suggests that like he's not the most Googled or some of his quarter hours don't pop quite like others. That like is a concern, but it's something that I don't want. I don't want like them to be put off their stride with the Sangman page story. Cause it's, they should like, they should know that they're like, this is Bret Hart in the new generation. 
there if you're if you're a fan and you're deeply invested you're going to be hooked for life when hangman page wins that title because the the sense of reward you're going to feel is going to be like nothing else this company's ever produced this has to open double or nothing for me the main card because mm. as much as i loved wrestlemania night one and i earnestly loved it thought it was a joyful occasion don't <laughs> piss the fans off in the first match you dickheads AEW won't do that they will not do that I think it's going to be heel heavy on the wins um, which is a shame that it's happening in parallel with the first full capacity show so give Hangman that opening win it's the casino ladder match the pinnacle coronation came next they recap what happened at blood and guts outcome the pinnacle flanked by many beautiful ladies uh, mjf says he take he took chris jericho's spot he's the new demo god he's the greatest of all time he's wearing a bloody crown while saying all this uh, he demands the audience bow to the pinnacle he says what this line i don't know if the mouth breathing pause have heard this <laughs> But last week, they were number one on cable for the first time ever. They broke a record on TSN in Canada, and it's all because of the Canadian legend that is John Spears, who does deserve some credit for what happened last week, to be fair. Uh, He talked about how the inner circle down now two men, uh, one because they stabbed MJF and another because he, quote, fell off the cage, took a little tumble. Um, He said, oh, do you want to see a rematch? Obviously, the crowd do. He says, no. Uh, Tully Blanchard gets on the mic. Uh, he says he's been on top many times in the past, but this group of guys, they took everything in a, in a circle could dish out last week and they made them quit. When you quit, you quit. And the pinnacle deserves the finest things. He's bought them all expensive watches uh, so that whenever they look at their wrist, they can say that was a present from Tully Blanchard. That's what being part of the pinnacle is all about. There's some honking. Where's that honking coming from? It's uh, three weeks ago on Dynamite. That's where the honking's coming from. <laughs> It's Ortiz Hager and Guevara. They are in some sort of converted vehicle thing. Uh, MJF tells them to drive off. The inner circle's dead. Jericho's never going to show his face again. Jericho is in the back of the vehicle. And uh, eagle-eyed viewers may have spotted him in the little gap earlier on, as uh, Adam Nicholas tweeted out earlier. Uh, Jericho pops up, though. He's got his arm in a cast. He's got a separated shoulder, I think they were saying, or something along those lines. Uh, He asks for a rematch. Uh, with the pinnacle, MJF says no. So Guevara is unleashed with the high-powered hose with a little bit of the bubbly uh, aping, you know, the beer bath from, from Stone Cold, etc. Um, MJF loses it. They sell, they bump all over the place. They're, in, they're drenched in bubbly. Uh, he screams at everyone to shut up. He says he's going to take them on in the match that they lost last year's stadium stampede. But if the inner circle loses, they have to break up forever. Hamlet, you're rolling your eyes as I was talking there. This is rubbish. I thought this was absolutely rubbish. I just had so many problems with it. Um, So, I mean, there's been a few production flubs lately in AEW. I think that's fair to say. One was the fact that you could see Chris Jericho when he was coming out. Like if you couldn't make out his face, you could see something flesh-coloured in the back of the truck. So it was like, well, here they are, of course, hiding Chris Jericho. So like that wasn't ideal. And there's a, a bit of this is cropping up now. Like, be better. Fix it. Um, but I hated the premise. Even if Chris Jericho had been like completely invisible and in another part of the building, I hated the entire premise. Um WWE don't own wrestling and don't own everything, but you have to be very careful of the things that you want to pay tribute to that they've done very, very well. This was way too much of an like on the nose tribute 
they did it really well once. They parodied it really well once. Like, they love their own thing so much that they did an amazing parody of it. So at this point, what's this? Because it's not beer and it's not milk. So, like, I, I didn't even like the idea. I hate even more. And, I like, I feel like I'm banging this drum and then, like, AW make this move to, like, rectify it. And then it goes back again. The Pinnacle are a bit crap. Like, I'm sick of seeing them. Showing arse for Chris Jericho. Clowning for Chris Jericho. It's one week this, then one week the other. Like, give me six good weeks of the Pinnacle. MJF did not spend a year planning this fucking thing to be, like, going half and half with Chris Jericho every week. He didn't. Like, he hatched this grand plan to destroy the inner circle, to beat up Chris Jericho and continue to do that and arrive upon dominance. And yes, I know he's going to win matches and win world titles because that's what stables are going to afford him. But I'm not enjoying chapter one of the Pinnacle's life one bit for the amount of clownish selling they have to do for the inner circle. And I'm sure this take is going to be everywhere. So it's going to be like freezing cold at this point rather than hot. But all the trust in the process in the world and all the faith that Stadium Stampede might be great. But blood and guts to build a Stadium Stampede is really, really bad. Like, basically, blood and guts as a stipulation has taken a battering since the moment Chris Jericho started climbing that cage. Like, as a stipulation, which is what we're supposed to care about and, like, what they might want to sell again one day, has taken a pounding from the second he got out of that cage for the finish, for all the discourse around it, and for the fact that a week later, the group are back. Jericho's in, a, in his casting, but it's like, otherwise, we'll all be absolutely fine and we'll see you at Stadium Stampede. It even undermines Sammy Guevara's surrender because it's like, oh, like what were you really worrying about? You know, everything's, everything's worked out okay. Like, I know it's not the last laugh, but we've had a pretty big one. So why do you even bother surrendering in the first place? Like, multifarious misfire, this. Really, really, really hated it. God, Chris Jericho. This is too Chris Jericho for its own good. Far too Chris Jericho for its own good. And it's ultimately the vehicle that's meant to launch MGF into the stratosphere. Mm. I understand that you can't kill Chris Jericho every week. At least, like if they had to come back two weeks later, I would have thought, oh, Jesus Christ, it's a bit quick. One week's the absolute bare minimum. In headcanon, which you never want to think about, you want to luxuriate in it, but you don't want to ask questions in headcanon about what these guys are doing in their interior lives beyond these two hours of TV. But what's happened is that Chris Jericho woke up in a hospital bed and thought, all right, well, that arm should be a... Uh, Recovered in time for the next pay-per-view. That's convenient. And I've still got mobility of the rest of my body and I haven't nearly died. Look, how can we get these guys back? All right, we can spend more time building an, a, a comedic vehicle that I have inexplicably acquired, <laughs> except without the fun John Moxley New Japan bit. Dave, it was Homer's car. <laughs> <laughs> Dave built something as ugly and as stupid as Homer's car and they've gone to the effort of putting the Inner Circle logo. I know who the in faction are at this point. Proper convert the van on the A-team, isn't it? You know, when they need, they need the van to convert it to something to give them that sort of daft conclusion. I hated virtually all this, and it's a shame because I want desperately to like the Pinnacle. At the very best of even this feud and the Pinnacle's involvement in it, it's great. And then there's Chris Jericho being Chris Jericho on the margins. That's like, you know, you, you, you should allow him to be Chris Jericho. He's Chris Jericho. But some of the ideas that he has stink. And it's like, 
I just hated every. I'm going to talk more about why I hated, but I'm just trying to gather my thoughts because there was so much to hate. I really liked the Pinnacles promo. It was a little bit theatrical. It wasn't quite standing next to Tony Schiavone in the studio back in the 80s, but you can't really do it too on the nose. Otherwise, you get NWA power vibes. I thought they just struck it enough to give you that. That MGF Chris Jericho, let's make something look like it needs to be on TV, TV quality with a crown and et cetera. MGS promo was as funny as you'd expect. The idea that they had watches to celebrate their win, put over the win because the win warranted getting watches purchased for them. MGF dominates the screen. When you can't take your eyes off MGF, you are rewarded for doing that because when Tully Blanchard said, got five of the finest women in Jacksonville, Chris Jarrett, uh, MGF did the hand thing. Like, mm, sure. He's a dickhead and he's great at being a dickhead. And this thing is really irritating because they get the JCP vibe. They've gone the first 20 minutes of blood and guts. They get it in the way of the dress. They get it in the way they cut the promos. And then here's WWE encroaching on the way more impressive thing you've managed to update in Jim Crocker promotions. Stupid vehicle. Complete lack of selling. Blood and Guts has no weight in retrospect when the fall and the filming of it meant it had not enough weight at the time. The commentators didn't find it that funny, but Chris Jericho, so you kind of have to laugh. That was that was telling, actually. I good, didn't like that. Good, didn't like that yeah, one. good observation. Very Michael Cole, wasn't it? Like laughing at you to laugh with them. We'll talk... Yeah, exactly. We'll talk more about Stadium Stampede. We'll preview it several times over. I don't know how FTR cut a stadium in half. I don't think it's... A, <laughs> I referenced that on the news today. I don't think it's a particularly great use of character, and that's what a good promoter does. They promote the best of the characters and put them in the most flattering matches. I watched Dax Harwood versus Jungle Boy and thought... Dax Harwood is so good at pro wrestling and he's so good at containing this effervescent young performer that if you watch that match again, he gave him no space to do anything. No space. He was in his face. He was cutting him off. That's what FDR are great at. The stadium's a pretty gigantic space. How are you going to suffocate you? I just think it's a... I'm prepared to be surprised. You know what? I think I will be. But I, hate, I don't like that stipulation. I don't like how it's so soon after another stipulation, how it's the levity stipulation on top of the, the ultra-violent stipulation. They're not going to do comedy. They'll do a tone of comedy, I'm thinking, because it's Jericho, but I think largely it won't be. I will wait to be surprised. I don't like the order they've done things. I don't like the execution of the way they did this segment. I don't like how it's WWE when you've got something that feels like it's got JCP energy. Oh, boy. Chris Jericho needs a word. Because I'm, um, this is Chris Jericho's pitch, obviously. It reeked of Jericho. Selling a losing. Let's, let's say one more thing. Sorry, Hamlet. Chris Jericho cut one of the best babyface promos of his career not less than two weeks ago. Let's not <laughs> delve into the swamp of Insta reactions and think, oh, the whole thing's buggered. It might not be. It probably isn't. They're capable of greatness, but this is becoming very uneven and this was wacky and I hated it. Yeah, you indulge the man, sometimes you're going to get the monster. That's the thing with Chris Jericho, I guess, isn't it? They're going to indulge him every single week. Um, just on that and that sense that, oh, Christ, all right, we'll just let him do his thing. We'll let him do his idea. They're selling us, uh, if you lose, you split up angle on a show where they've done a not very good job of selling a if you lose, you split up angle. <laughs> Same show. Like, SCU's split has been, like, disregarded half an hour earlier. And then it's like, and if you lose, you've got to split up forever. That's sort of a, that's like basics. You know, like the, you know, it's like working a leg team matches in a row or something like that. It's stuff you try and avoid. 
on that note, Chris Jericho is a perfect magpie in that he will take things from pop culture and apply them to pro wrestling. Like, plagiarist is not the right word. I don't think he's ever plagiarized anyone in his career, but he's really good at folding in different things from different entertainment mediums into his act. He's talking on Broken Skull Sessions about how when he did the famous pose on his WWF debut, like, oh my God, it's Jericho. I can't wait to see that man's face. He got it from seeing Michael Jackson in concert. So he knows how to do things. He said, he talked about the Paul Lakes. He watched Pirates of the Caribbean. Caribbean. He knows that he can watch something go, will that work in a wrestling context? Can I make it my own? Can I do it? And he's got a good mind for that kind of thing. I feel like when he talks about this on Talk to Jericho one day, he's going to get it wrong. He's going to say, yeah, I got the idea from, where did I got the idea from? Oh yeah, Dynamite <laughs> Three Weeks with Honkin' Horn. <laughs> we were kind of the uh, last guys to do the uh, yeah, losing you have to return. I want to, I want to, to hear that. more about SCU after these. Uh... <laughs> I hated this. It was a stupid vehicle, the stupid logo, the WWE stuff. Uh, everything about this was awful. All apart, I remember is... Uh... Apart from the three, four minutes we got on the pinnacle. And even that was not their best material, I don't think. All I remember is the uh, stakes were so high. Speaking of stakes, uh, you got to get some snowballs. <laughs> also, I don't know, is it because what was it? The wire you got parlay from you two? Yeah. Yeah. Speaks volumes that me and Jericho are like, oh, yeah, Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, right. Let's move <laughs> something that I sensed we probably did enjoy a lot more. And that was Britt Baker sitting down with Jim Ross uh, talking about facing Gara Shida at Double or Nothing, the AW Women's Champion. She talked about Shida breaking her, breaking her nose, busting her wide open a year ago. She said, now she's the baddest bitch on the block. That's a nice bit of alliteration there. Uh, she says, it's poetic that the monster she created is going to destroy her. Uh, they referenced, I think it was a Forbes photo shoot that Baker came in and broke up. Uh, and Baker basically said, well, it's kind of bloody pointless having somebody who's not going to be champion in three weeks of holding the photo shoot. So that's why I got involved. Um, she said she was tired of being painted as the villain. She said, uh, yeah, all right. You know, she's kept, she just kept the uh, division on life support over the last year, but Baker is the face of the division. She's the role model. She's the heart and soul. She's the pulse. And when you have a pulse, you don't need a machine keeping everything alive. She says that double or nothing, the division will keep itself alive when Baker becomes champion. Jim Ross goes, guaranteed? She goes, guaranteed. D-M-D. Nailed it, Sage. She's unbelievable. She's great. The goddamn link between, and I've said this before, but it's such a great take that I'll say it again. Britt Baker in QT Marshall's gym working Hikaru Shida in the famous match where she got her nose busted open and proved two years worth improvement in one match. That's how great she was in that match and that's how great she became afterwards. The link to that is magnificent. The delivery of the promo was magnificent. The inspiration behind all of this is magnificent. Shida needs to sell this because it's feeling, and it's an, it's an inevitability that Britt Baker's winning this match and I don't really want to feel like that. I don't think Shida deserves it either. What an absolutely fabulous idea that, like, Forbes magazine shoot angle was as well. Like, there were points in this episode where you doubt if they can still, like, bristle with the creativity of the peak. But, of course, they can. It's just that not everything's going to land. This, like, I I love that idea so, so much. Like, what a believable set of circumstances. So much so that I feel like it's maybe happened and somebody was telling the story backstage. I was, um, heard this story of a UFC photo shoot where, like, one of the guys got in somebody's face. You know, like, that feels real. That some arsehole would be like, ah, but this magazine's going to stands in three months, so I should be the one holding the belt. And then little, like, edginess in the room. 
it's absolutely inspired for pro wrestling that just perfect and for the first time sort of build on like what Sidgwick was saying it's the first time that like she felt like she was part of this storyline the storyline in which she's defending the world title was when like Britt Baker was like wanting to start a fight with her like just snatching the belt back like, right as well like first time she just had any agency in this angle and I, I love that so it does need more of it promo was brilliant Really smart to have her in there with Jim Ross because there's always a certain prestige around these sit-down interviews with JR, but also because, and I'm not suggesting she didn't nail this in one, maybe she did, there was a lot to get to. It was a big, worthy analogy, and this was a better setting for it than potentially stumbling over it in front of, like, Daly's Place or something like that. This was, fan- like, one of my favourite bits of the show. Fantastic. The line? So I'm pretty hard to kill or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. Uh, right, then we got Thunder Rosa very briefly in a squash match against uh, Jasmine Allure. Um, Allure did get in some offense. She reversed a whip, uppercut, but Rosa comes straight back. Shotgun drop kick, sent on, shoulder breaker, fire thunder driver. One, two, three. Amphlet, your thoughts? Not many, really. Um, I don't know. Like, I didn't want to jump to the conclusion that they'd maybe not through circumstances or whatever that they're not doing enough to follow up on Thunder Rosa but I don't think it's jumping to conclusions now I don't think they've done enough with Thunder Rosa off the back of that win like it's pro wrestling so you can do this sometimes you can be a bit cheeky feels like Britt Baker won that main event I know it was unsanctioned I'm not talking about rankings feels like Britt Baker won that match because look what we've just spoke about there and look what we're speaking about now in terms of a very nondescript television match Thunder Rosa I understand there's other business to do in terms of the NWA title and Serena Deep. It's all matches I want to see. It's all good graphics, but that's the NXT criticism, isn't it? Like you're showing me the graphics, but you're not telling me the story. Like I think, I think they've probably let her down off the back of that main event. To be honest, my guess, and it doesn't really excuse how long they've taken to do it because when you've got two wrestlers that feel hot, you should push two of them. But yeah, maybe she had NWA commitments that clash with the schedule or whatever. It feels like they positioned Baker right next to um, Thunder Rosa for a reason. Just a little link to keep most attentive people on the hook for um, a actual sanctioned singles match representing Baker's first defense, which will be great for the drama. Like, great for the drama. Like, oh, Christ, Thunder Rosa first. That's why I would book it. And I think this was possibly a generous take on my part, but maybe a glimpse towards that actual direction. The match was just a squash. Yeah. See the match, the title match. That's a great shout. Yeah. Like she's got a, she's got to avenge that. I know it was unsanctioned. She's got to avenge that loss, hasn't she? So, uh, speaking of title matches announced for next week, Serena D will defend the NWA Women's World Championship against Red Velvet. We've also obviously got the Young Bucks versus Varsity Blondes, Christian Cage versus Matt Seidel. And next week is not a good week to be Austin Gunn. He will not be cheering along from ringside because he's getting his rib broken by Anthony Agogo, basically. Uh, we got a brief interview with Jade Cargill. She was interviewed by Tony Schiavone, talked about everyone wanting her managerial services. Uh, they showed uh, Mark Sterling coming out and offering his managerial services. And uh, Shawnee says, oh, who's going to handle it then? And Gargoyle goes, I handle my own business. As for all the offers, she is listening, but she's her own boss. And she's that bitch, Michael Hamlet. All right. Like, I suppose I'm slightly more interested than I was when we were previewing it, because at least now there feels like there's going to be a bill to reveal of our manager. But then she just said she doesn't need one as well. So I, I don't know. I was a bit confused by the message. It's okay. Jade Cargill's, like awesome. What a like what a superstar in the making. A total specimen. I like her on television, but like there wasn't I don't think there was much meat on the bone here. 
it's not really worth talking about, is it? I mean, just much of the same. If you like like Jay Cargill, though, check out Jay Antonio Nunya, a uh, friend of the channel. Uh, he's the bearded sumo, I believe, on social media. Uh, great, great drawing uh, for Jay Cargill. Jay even likes himself, so go and check that out. Featured on the news just a couple of days ago. Uh, right, main event time. Miro versus Darby Allen, TNT Championship. Before that, we get a video package. Uh, well, Allen being hoyed down the stairs. Uh, and him saying he didn't have time to worry about it. He returned to his hometown of Seattle to remind himself who he is, how far he's come. Uh, he's accusing Miro of you know, not achieving his potential. What have you done since coming here? He said, he said, I know who I am. You're generic. You're not going to take my title. Uh, no matter what happens, you will have to admit Darby Allen is one of the toughest men he stepped in the ring with. And uh, well, yeah, the match that followed demonstrated that because Miro murdered him. Uh, he jumps Darby Allen before the bell, tosses him all around on the floor. The official, of course, won't start the match until he's checked on Darby Allen. He shows Scorpion, Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page just yucking it up, watching this, this destruction of Darby Allen. Uh, Miro lariats uh, Darby Allen over the barricade and then German suplexes him back over it to ringside. Amazing that. Uh, eventually they get in the ring and Darby Allen gets the chance to take his bloody jacket off and gets checked on and uh, says he's ready to compete. Immediately, Miro gets a near fall from a matchka kick. Uh, Darby Allen fights back, shotgun drop kick, sends him out to the floor, goes for the flipping stunner. Uh, Miro immediately counters it, but uh, Darby Allen sends him into the post. A great, it's been gift all over Twitter, a great, missile tope through the ropes uh, from Darby Allen, just colliding into Miro. Goes again for the coffin drop on the outside, but this time Miro cashed him and German suplexes him on the floor. Later on, Darby Allen finally fights back, gets a bit of a hope spot, gets uh, Miro in a sleeper hold. Uh, Miro's starting to fade. He gets to the ropes. He rolls to the floor, but Allen reapplies the sleeper. Miro is scratching and clawing for anything. He grabs the championship. He gives it you know, potentially using it to, to escape, but the official takes it off him. So Miro just runs back first to Darby Allen's side, effectively, straight into the wall uh, at ringside to break the hold. He uh, he gets control again, Miro, starts targeting the, the arm of, of Darby Allen, just bounces him off the ropes, not in a good way, not in a you're coming back and I'm going to close on you way, just hoys him into like the middle rope, basically. Uh, there's a lovely moment with Darby Allen just laying there, thinking this sucks and Sting is obviously there he's accompanying him to ringside and gets a little fist bump you can see in Sting's eyes he's like good luck buddy um Darby Allen comes back in big old slap to Miro stunner great near fall from a cradle off the back of that hits a second stunner goes up top but Miro catches the coffin drop uh Darby Allen flips out of the German suplex rolls Miro up another nibbling near fall for me uh then i think he went for a code red another near fall and then miro pops up locks on the game over and i think the medical term is snap starby allen spider the way the movement on that was incredible but uh, yeah it was a stoppage miro is your new tnt champion the fourth tnt champion if my stats are correct in AEW's history uh well the fourth fourth person to hold it the fifth in chronological order Post-match, as had happened earlier on, I think just before or possibly during a break, uh, Ethan Page, Scorpio Sky, they attack Sting. They're chased off by the Dark Order. Go and check out on Twitter as well a little clip of them being chased through the arena. And John Silver just just slightly late running behind everyone. 
trying to trying to his little legs trying to keep up with everyone uh lance archer comes out points at Miro. the show goes off the air Miro though is standing tall with the tnt championship Sid, i know you've had issues with this show but what a way to finish it it was absolutely great and i wish i was left remembering how great this was because on a show that had unfortunate execution of something that could have been great which didn't help the mood and it's just an awful chris jericho vanity project this is great. And I think I want to go back and watch it because I wish I had a better feeling from the show, from the main event. Um, because I thought it was absolutely great. Not only was it like a tremendous pro wrestling match, just a perfect story being told, the vast potential of that dynamic perfectly realized. I loved how they listened to us again. Like, don't just do the squash because it's the last stand and you've just done one as well. But that hope spot was great. My favorite thing about that hope spot was that not only did it get everything you could possibly wanted out of the dynamic, and it told the perfect story between Darby Allen and Miro, the perfect length, in my opinion. It added a mythical aura sting once again. The power of his fist bump <laughs> ignited Darby Allen to do that inc- incredible hope spot, absolutely incredible hope spot, where you thought, oh, God, he's actually going to recover. He didn't. That goddamn low pay was unbelievable. It's just the magic of Darby Allen. There's no one better at making people look like killers and Miro look like a killer in this match. But there's no one quite as good at the minute in the world, in my opinion, at Darby Allen making you think this is real and that he hates people and that he's fighting underneath for literally everything. This is a mini masterpiece of booking match quality and what a way to end what's been a quietly tremendous run after the team tower stuff was resolved. Totally um, it was a of him using his body as a weapon, wasn't it? Yeah. Cause that's all he's got. And I loved as well how that wasn't enough. It's not just a well-booked and well-structured match, but the specific choices they made that you can't do the coffin drop against Miro doesn't have any impact and Miro's too strong. He can suffocate you. He's a bear. Like you played the role of a goddamn bear in this match. Just you can't do anything about him. It's Miro looking massive and he's hard and he's insane and he's unhinged and he's intense. I loved the reversals from those coffin drops and what he did to him afterwards. Yeah. Um, this is just fantastic. Yeah, same. Loved it. Um, it's the, they may have found, I feel like I might have said this about Darby Allen before, but they may have found the best physical chemistry between two wrestlers in the form of Darby Allen and Miro because there's Big as Miro looks, like it's all about. Like I know physically he's looking pretty big at the moment, but it's always to do with perception as well. And he looks ten foot tall compared to the shrunken reset that left WWE. Um, this bear, this monster, against Darby Allen's very natural and slight frame, it's like just added so much to the drama of already what was like Darby Allen trying to be the one legged man winning an ass kicking contest. <laughs> he was thrown down the goddamn stairs last week. You know that that was. That was always going to be the story. It was always going to be like the emotional heft of this. Um, Really like electrifying, energetic action for something that was like, in your head was a protracted squash, but in your heart was made possible by a couple of really great near falls that Darmy Allen might get through this. Perfectly booked, perfectly laid out. Um, Ah, I didn't like the post-match. Very, very 
on brand for this episode of Dynamite because the steps look like they'd had Nakazawa's oil on them because they're just like, they look like Goombas from Mario, the Dark Order running in and like falling off the steps one after another for this wonky attack. Couldn't tell if Sting was limping because he was selling, but there was a certain little bit of the Seth Rollins wobbly legs about him when he was like walking. So I hope Sting's all right. Um, let's stuff, like I know we'll get into Miro and um, Lance Archer like Lance Archer's been having, he's had his eye on that TNT title. Like I know that Sting and Darby Allen have got this, this afters stuff with um, Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page. I didn't just need it all there and then. It, it again, like took away a little bit from like the drama. This wasn't Brody Lee stood over a fallen nightmare family, was it? It was like, Miro's won the title. Right, we've got like two other programs to build up in six seconds to do it. Um, yeah, like... I don't need that, and I wish they'd stop doing it. It feels insulting at this point. It's I love how they don't do recap videos, even from previous weeks, but they do recap angles, and it's like, come on, let us cling to it. Let us remember and do like just let things breathe, for God's sake. What was the one where was it either Taz or Eddie Kingston? It was Eddie Kingston selling or Eddie Kingston screaming, but the show ended with. Was it the crossroads, the shack stuff? That was it, yeah. Like just screaming down the microphone. Yeah. No, it was winter's coming. Winter is coming, that's it, yes. Moxley's lying in the ring and it's going off the like Kenny's done his big thing, then it's back to the ring. And instead then there was screaming like, was it like Archer? Like from Eddie Kingston or something like that. What? I <laughs> weird. Stop that. Please stop it. <laughs> Like I said, a roller coaster of an episode of uh, Dynamite. Lots to cover today, so apologies for going long, but uh, I think you married it on last night's show. Let us know your thoughts on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Uh, watch there. You can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamlet at Michael Hamlet. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at M. Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at What Culture WWE and make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts every week, previews and reviews of AEW Dynamite. And on Sunday this week, of course, more fallout from, well, everything we've just discussed with myself and Michael Sidgwick. But for now, this has been the AEW Dynamite review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us and we will see you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.